Last week, uh, we're, we're continuing on the study of what we believe, and last week we studied about the church, and I, and I said uh, last week that, that we were going to cover the ordinances of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, separately from last week because they were a separate article, and because they're, frankly, I could do several sermons on each of these the Lord's Supper or baptism. I could do several sermons on either one of them. And so, but we are going to try and cover both in, in one sermon this morning, at least the highlights. So we're going to be, uh, because we just did Lord's Supper, we're going to start there. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to, want to turn there, while I read the, the article, the Baptist Faith and Message article on baptism and the Lord's Supper. And again, it is up here behind me. Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith, in the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. So, so we're going to be, I, I just read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, but let me read them to you again, and again, they're, they're, they're going to be right up here behind me. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's look at at the Lord's Supper. Verse 23 here shows us that it, it begins with a statement that it comes directly from Jesus. He starts out with, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. We see that the Lord's Supper was, was instituted by Jesus. We see that actually in the Gospels. Now, the timing of the Lord's Supper lines up with the Passover Seder that, that the, the disciples and Jesus are celebrating together. And so I thought I'd I bring out some of the uh, some of the similarities between the Passover Seder and the, the the Lord's Supper. First of all, Seder you think of this as meal. Seder actually means order. So the Passover is the meal, the Seder is the order of the meal, and so this is the order of the the Passover Seder, the order of the meal. It says first of all. That in God, in, in, uh, in Exodus 12, where the first Passover happens, God says that, that the Jews, the, the believers, are supposed to be celebrating Passover forever. There is never a time when this doesn't take place. It is once a year, but it is every year 
for eternity, forever. And then Jesus says the same thing. He says with the Lord's Supper that we will celebrate the Lord's Supper until he comes back. In fact, that, that's what Paul says here in verse 26, that we proclaim the death of Jesus on our behalf until he returns. So they're both, uh, they, they are both celebrations that happen continually, all the time. There's not an end to them. It's the, one of the feasts that is to be celebrated regularly, like we do the Lord's Supper. Now, the Seder begins with a preparation. Uh, they, they remove all of the leaven from the house. Now, leaven is, is often in Scripture uh, symbolic of sin. You, you see the beware the leaven of the Pharisees and, and things like that. So it's, leaven is often equated with sin. And so the, the Jewish household, in the, before they, they do the Passover Seder, they remove all leaven from the, uh, from the house, from the entire house. And then they prepare, and that's a way of preparing themselves. We, in the Lord's Supper, because of verse 28 here, we prepare ourselves as well. As well. We did just now. Just before we took the Lord's Supper, it was a time of preparation, a time of confessing sin, a time of, of making sure that we are ready to take the Lord's Supper. The Seder is also a communal meal. Now, the, uh, the original Passover in Exodus 12, and then, and then afterwards, if, you're, if you had a small family, then you invited the neighbors over for it. It was something that happened not in the temple, it happened in the home, and it happened with with people, your whole family, and so that nothing went to waste. If there were more, that if, if you had a lamb big enough, you invited the neighbors too. It was a communal meal. And the community part of that was important to the Passover. The Lord's Supper is also a community meal. It's also a communion thing. We celebrate not only our communion with, with God through Christ, we celebrate our communion with each other through Christ. So the community aspect of, of this, of the, the Seder and of the Lord's Supper are, are clear. Now the Seder is also celebrated with unleavened bread. Now in Exodus 12, it's set up that way. They called it the bread of affliction, actually. And it's set up that way because they were the next day leaving Egypt. They were the next day taken off. And so unleavened bread could come with them. So it was also the bread of hurry. It was the bread of, of, of getting, getting things done and getting, and getting on the road, sort of. Now, we celebrate still with unleavened bread. And remember, Jesus said, this is my body. So we are celebrating the, the, the sinless body of Jesus in the unleavened bread of the Lord's Supper. Remember, sin and leaven are equated in Scripture. And so we celebrate with unleavened bread to celebrate the sinless body of Jesus. And then the Seder had four cups of wine, and it's all based on Exodus 6, 6 through 8. The first statement that God promises is, I will take you out. And so that first cup is the cup of sanctification. The next is, I will rescue you. So the next cup, the second cup, is the cup of deliverance. 
I will redeem you. The third cup is the cup of redemption. And the fourth cup, I will bring you, is the cup of restoration. It is the third cup, by the way the Seder works, and if you look at the Gospels, it's the third cup, the cup of redemption, that Jesus takes and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So the third cup is redemption. Now the fourth cup, Jesus refuses. We see through the Gospels, he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I come back. Restoration, full restoration doesn't happen until Jesus returns. And so that fourth cup was never drank by Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Jesus is called our Passover lamb. Now one of the... uh, one of the requirements of the Passover is that the lamb had to be completely consumed. There could be no leftovers. And we can see how Jesus is our Passover lamb because he has to completely consume us. Every part of your life. We don't, we don't just add Jesus to our Sunday morning. He has our whole week, our whole life. We are completely consumed by him. So we can see how the Lord's Supper looks backward to Passover, all the way back to Exodus 12. It looks to what's going on today and the fellowship and communion that we have with each other and with God through Christ. And it looks forward to when Christ returns. All of that in the simple celebration we just had. All of that, all of that meaning in the simple celebration that we just had. We celebrate just as the the Passover did. We celebrate the rescue of God. We celebrate the deliverance of God. We celebrate the redemption of God. We celebrate the sanctification of God. All on our behalf, all in the Lord's Supper when we celebrate it here. So we continue to, to, to celebrate the Lord's Supper Here we do it the first Sunday of every month. We we continue that because we are going to continue until Jesus comes. We are going to continue until restoration happens. Full restoration. So let's look at baptism. And and I chose from from the list Romans 6 for this. Romans 6, 3 through 5. We read part of this earlier for our uh, memory verse. So Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 3, or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in, in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. So let's, uh, let's look at baptism. Baptism has very Jewish roots. The uh, uh, archaeologists have found several pools around the temple if, if a person was not born Hebrew and wanted to become Jewish, then he was, he was called a proselyte. 
And a proselyte was baptized by full immersion in water. And, and those pools are, are, have been found around the, uh, the old temple site. So it was full immersion in water to start with. Now, what this symbolized for the Jew was, I am dead to my Gentile life and now alive to my Jewish life. Coming, going into the water, being buried in the water, and coming out of the water, just like Christian baptism. So Christian baptism really is not, uh, not at all a new thing. It was around before Christ. <laughs> at least its basis was. And the idea of it, as we even see here in Romans, is that we are buried in the likeness of the death of Jesus and risen to new life. So we have this idea of, of full immersion. Now, the, actually, the, the word baptize in Greek means immerse or submerge. And so when it talks about baptism in, in Acts and, and, and Romans and Corinthians and, and so many places in the New Testament, it's using the word baptizmo, which literally means immerse or submerge. It's used outside the Bible to talk about dipping cloth in dye so that that dye is fully uh, through all of the fibers of the cloth. So the idea of baptism has always been full immersion. Immerse, and, and you can see why that's important even for the picture that we are painting. Because just as it talks about here in Romans, what we are picturing in our baptism is our death to our old life and rising from the grave to new life in Christ. That's what we're picturing in baptism. So you can see how immersion is important. Now, there are a lot of faith traditions, a lot of faith uh, or belief systems that sprinkle or, or that, that don't fully immerse or submerge. And, and we, as Baptists, believe that it's full submersion because that's what Scripture says. That's the pattern that's set in the book of Acts and, and elsewhere. Does, does this passage from Romans make any sense at all about being buried in the likeness of his death if you're sprinkled on your head? It doesn't, does it? And so we, we, we believe in an immersion baptism for that reason. Now... We, we celebrate here a, what we call a believer's baptism. Believer's baptism means that it is something that happens after someone comes to faith in Christ. So we don't baptize babies. We baptize people that have come to Christ. That's believer's baptism. And again, why is that? Read the book of Acts. You'll see it is consistently people coming to Christ and people being baptized. It's always that way. Now, in, in Scripture and through, through Acts, and uh, where you see most of the baptism is in Acts, um, it is done in a church setting. Now, when I say that, I don't mean this building. What I mean is it's among a group of people. Because what you're doing in baptism, what you're doing is, is showing everybody what has already happened in your heart that you are dying to your old life as you go in the water and rising to new life when you come out of the water. So it doesn't make sense to do with just one person, does it? It makes the most sense in, the, in a church setting. 
And that's really where we see it in the book of Acts. We see it with groups of people. We see basically the pattern of coming to Christ, being baptized in the church. That's basically the, the, the pattern that we see set. So that's why it's, an, uh, uh, it's considered an ordinance of the church, because it just makes the most sense in this setting, in the setting of a group of people to witness what has happened in your heart when you go into the water. Now, I, I want to say a couple of things about baptism. First of all, it does not require that a pastor do it. We have here had fathers baptize their children. We've had ministry leaders baptize someone who came to Christ in, uh, in that ministry. It doesn't require me. And there's nothing special about the water there either. That water is the same water that comes out of the kitchen sink. It's not the water. It's not the person doing the baptism. It's the, the heart of the person being baptized. That's what's critical. The critical part here is that I want to show that my life is different. I want to show that I am dead to my old life and risen to new life. That's what baptism shows. And so that's how we do baptism here. Now, I will, I will also say this about baptism. It is not a requirement of salvation. Here's why I say that. And there are, again... A lot, of, a lot of faith traditions that say if you're not baptized, you can't get to heaven. Now, I have a, the, the problem with that is it doesn't ever say that in Scripture. And secondly, we know Jesus was baptized because we're told. And we can assume that some of the disciples were baptized because they were, were at one time followers of John the Baptist who baptized everybody. But we're never told about the disciples' baptism. We're never told if they were ever baptized, actually. We just assume that some of them were because they were followers of John the Baptist. So if baptism was a requirement of salvation, don't you think that it would have shown us all of the disciples, the followers of Jesus, being baptized? It would have. It, it doesn't. Secondly, we know the thief on the cross. Jesus is on the cross and tells the thief that you will be with me today in paradise. They did not take that guy down and baptize him and put him back up on the cross. So baptism is not a requirement of salvation. I think, as it says in the article, I think baptism is a, is a step of obedience. And so, there are, again, churches do this ways. Some people, if you come to Christ, want you wet. I think it's a separate step a step of obedience. I want to follow Christ. Christ was baptized. He himself was baptized. So Christ was baptized. I want to be baptized as a step of obedience. And so that can come days, weeks, months after coming to Christ. I let God lead that here. Let God decide. You and God decide when you're going to be baptized. And as I said, baptism is a step of obedience to Christ. We are baptized because Jesus was baptized. We are baptized because the pattern we see set in his word through the book of Acts is you come to Christ, 
baptized by immersion in water in the church. That's just the pattern set. And so that's how we see baptism. We don't baptize babies. We don't, we don't baptize, we baptize once somebody has come to Christ. So you can see the community aspects of both the Lord's Supper and baptism. That's why these are church ordinances. That's why they are, they are settled here in the church. The Lord's Supper, you can certainly take the Lord's Supper with one or two people, certainly. It's done all the time. I, I, uh, I used to actually have, I, I still have the little kit that you can pour the, the juice in and take the wafers in. Now, of course, with these um, prefab things, my little kit is, uh, uh, is archaic. <laughs> Maybe I can sell it on eBay, huh? <laughs> it's of no use, really. But, but, of course, I could put better wafers in it and... and uh, but you can see the community aspects of both of these. First of all, in, in the Lord's Supper, it is the celebration of Passover. It's the celebration of the community and the redemption that has happened in the community. So you can see we have communion with each other and with God, all in Christ. And so we celebrate it together. Baptism is the same way. You, could, you can certainly go out to a lake and baptize yourself. But... If baptism is showing everyone that you are dead to your old life and now risen to life in Christ, have you shown anyone that by, by jumping in water yourself? So it's, it's, these have community aspects that are important. And that's what the church is. The church is the community of faith. The church is the place where we, as, as I said last week as we studied church, where we are built up together in Christ. That's what church is supposed to be. So that's why these two are important ordinances within the church, because, they, because of their community aspect, because of what we celebrate. We celebrate in the Lord's Supper what God has done, is doing, and will do for us. And in baptism, we celebrate what Christ has done, is doing, and will do for us. So you can see these are very similar. So let me ask, do you know Christ? Are you absolutely certain that you know the Christ that I'm talking about in these verses? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. Because if you, if you don't know Christ, you can. It's a simple prayer that begins right now. And that simple prayer just acknowledges that you have sin in your life. God, I have sin in my life. I've done things wrong. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus died in my place on that cross. So I ask you to forgive me because of his finished work on the cross. And I ask you to give me this new life that I read about in, in Romans. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you need to let somebody know. Elbow your neighbor and let them know. Come and let me know. Are you feeling the call of God on your life for baptism? We have celebrated the Lord's Supper this morning and we, will, we celebrate that monthly here. 
But baptism is between you and God. Are you feeling the tug to be baptized? To show the world that you are dead to your old life and risen to new life in Christ. Let God speak to you about that. Christians, those that, that, that are no Christ, these are two great celebrations. Great opportunities to celebrate what, what God has done, what Christ has done, is doing, and will do for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that, uh, that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper because we know we know what Christ has done for us, is doing for us, and we know that he will do for us, that he will come and take us home. We thank you also, Father, for the celebration of baptism and just the, the incredible symbolism that it is. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.